Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Two recent police shootings in Connecticut highlight once again tensions between the police and the public. As lawmakers debate ways to hold police accountable, residents wrestle with trusting law enforcement. What issues need to be addressed to mend relationships and build stronger communities? We explored these questions with community members at a conversation I hosted at the Arroyo Recreation Center in Hartford's Pope Park. We started with two people close to the separate police shootings in New Haven and in Wethersfield. Rodney Williams is the uncle of the young man shot at by Hamden and Yale police officers April 16th in New Haven. Seated next to him was Greg Brown, a friend of the 18-year-old man fatally shot by police April 20th in Wethersfield. I asked Brown about his relationship with Anthony Jose Vega Cruz, who was known to his friends and family as Chulo. Well, growing up, you know, in my neighborhood, we're very close-knit. We grew up as a family, so me growing up, his older brother was my older brother. You know, we're not blood-related, but we grew up as a family, so... You know, off the top, Chulo grew up as my little brother. So, you know, we all take care of each other. We all make sure we're all taken care of. Um, Chulo, a funny kid, smart. You know, he had a lot that he was striving for. Um, It's an unfortunate situation, but we're not going to let that situation take from who he was as a person. How would you respond to the community support Uh, that you've seen um, since uh, his passing? Everyone came together. And I'm not talking about everyone from, you know, Hartford, Weathersfield, but I'm talking about New Haven, Bridgeport, you know, the family from other victims. Mm -hmm. You know, they've actually come together to show their support, and we appreciate that. You mentioned families of other victims. Uh, Rodney, your nephew was shot at by two police officers on April 16th. Can you tell us how your nephew is doing today? Well, I'm going to tell you, um, you might as well say that he was shot because every time he see a cop on Amalams, he's like on the floor in the car. So he's traumatized. And um, it's nothing but the grace of God that he's here. Um, I'm going to come to whatever I got to come to, fight whoever I need to fight, Um, because the truth is this. This has been going on in our state for a long time. A lot of people feel like it was isolated incidents. Um, It wasn't. The sad thing is that the officers who committed all the shootings are black. But the truth is, they're police officers. So it's not a race thing, it's a police thing. And it needs to be addressed. And until everybody come together, um, when something happened to his family, that my family come and, and those families that's not impacted come, it's not going to stop. But I think right now, where we at right now, I think, it, it, I think people in our state feel like enough is enough. Um, when you look in the room, there's several people here, but what I don't see is, um, where's the mayor of Hartford? Although it wasn't his officers 
um, they had ties to that to this city. It's wrong. We elect people, and then times like this come, people want to be neutral and play safe, but they don't want us to be neutral when it's time to vote. They don't want to be. They don't want us to be on the fence. They want us to vote for them, and I just feel like um, we need to look at every elected official, really what they stand for, and and define what a leader is, because if you can't stand up right now and fight for us, you need to sit down. Before the event, we did reach out to the Hartford Mayor's Office and City Council members. Mayor Bronin was unable to attend, and Council couldn't participate due to budget hearings. I asked Greg Brown, Chulo's friend, what kind of change he'd like to see in the community. It takes a lot to change. Um, when you talk about change, you can't just talk about one side. You have to talk about both sides, you know? And when it comes down to the police shootings, everyone's quick to say, oh, what did they do wrong to put them in that position? But what did the officer do wrong, you know? We have to sit and we have to talk about how they're gonna change and what they're gonna do differently to prevent that from happening, you know? There's a lot of um, issues we have in the community, but there's a lot of issues we have in law enforcement. And just because you have a badge, just because, you know, you're, that authority figure, you feel like you are justified in whatever decision that you make, you know, but we, we have to sit down and, you know, talk about what we're going to do differently, how this affects the community, and the community has to speak up for themselves, you know. We have to speak up for ourselves. As far as uh, Chulo's uh, passing, justice for you would be? In this situation, justice would be the firing of the officer. Honestly, that situation was not justified at all. And before seeing the video, I know who he is. I know who he was as a person. So I didn't have to watch the video to understand what happened. And a lot of us did not have to watch the video. Watching that video was just proof of what we already knew. So, yes, we're going to have those people who sit and look at the video and say, oh, he was charging at the officer. Pay attention to every aspect of that video. To me, he was attacked, and he was scared. Mm -hmm. So what do you do, fight or flight? So honestly, the officer who put himself in that position should be held accountable, and I don't think he should be on these streets. He deserves to be fired. He deserves to be held accountable. Um, we have a lot, of, a lot of people in the authority who have come to the family and apologized. I haven't heard one statement from that officer. Um, the mayor addressed you know, us during the city council meeting, but I haven't heard anything about her coming out and apologizing to the family you know, up front. So, Honestly, when officers are involved in, you know, shootings like that and that actually kill people, killing or not, you know, injuring anyone, they should be held accountable. Rodney, uh, in your nephew's um, experience, what would you like to see and how uh, the town of Hamden 
the city of New Haven, the Yale University Police Department, how they handle um, the requests from the community to, to see change. What does change look like for you? Change for me would be um, New Haven. I, I know I sat on the task force with the former um, chief of New Haven for police and community relationships. I think in order, in order for us to really have a relationship, the police need to define what community policing is and the community need to d define what it is for us. Because what happens is, what they think is community policing and what we think is, is two different things. And that's why it's not working. So I think that we need to just put the brakes on everything, um, have some conversations, have some people in the community talk about what they feel it should be and have some officers talk about that. Another thing is that what you gotta understand about that different communities, community policing need to be policed a different way. When you go to different, deal with different ethnicities, it ain't the same. So they don't teach that in academy. Let's hear from Anthony Campbell, the former New Haven police chief. Um, you were a police officer, I believe, for 21 years? Yes, yes ma'am. So when we hear Rodney mention uh, community policing, what does that mean from the officer's standpoint when they're doing their job? I think Rodney hit on a great point. Um, community policing has become kind of a catch-all phrase. Uh, you hear a lot of departments say we practice community policing, but Rodney makes the point that that is uh, unique to each community, and it should be. Not only to each community as a department, but also the different communities within a city. Uh, different neighborhoods have to be policed in different ways. If I simply look at a board or statistics and say, well, a certain amount of crime is happening over here, I need to deploy X amount of officers in my community policing strategy, I may be harming the community by over-policing or certain areas that may not be experiencing a certain degree of crime. If I don't have officers there and people don't see officers, they may feel neglected. So it is important to get input from the community. And I think that I'm very pleased to see how many people are here today. Um, I think that there should be other uh, political officials as well as other law enforcement officials here to learn from this. Uh, these two shootings, as well as other shootings that have happened within the state and Bridgeport and other places, this is an opportunity for law enforcement as well as the community to come together and have an honest conversation with one another as to what the community wants and needs and what law enforcement needs to do to respond to what they want and need. Um, I think that if we can do that, we can avoid situations like the last few shootings that have happened. Uh, communities are made up of many different people. Why do police departments uh, police black and brown people differently than white counterparts? I think when it comes to community policing or policing in general, um, Ronnie pointed out that in these shootings, uh, all the officers were black. And I think it comes down to police culture. Um, policing in America, given our history as a country, uh, policing has not always been good to black and brown people. And in many instances today, I don't think race does play a role. It plays a huge role in many instances. But I think more than anything when it comes to policing, uh, in policing the difficulty that police departments have as a whole is that uh, we don't know how to police uh, poor people. Um, when you look at the vast majority of people who are shot, 
um, and killed by law enforcement. They are not college-educated, wealthy individuals in well-to-do neighborhoods. They usually are people who are poor, living at the poverty level, um, person of color, um, who really the officer or officers in that department don't know how to police, don't know how to have a relationship with. Um, and if you talk to most police chiefs after a major incident, rather than leaning into that reality, which can be addressed through cultural diversity, better hiring and training practices, diversifying your department, having better relationships with the community, instead they'll step back and kind of be a little defensive uh, of their department, um, be defensive of the incident. And I don't think that's what we need today. I think that police departments and the culture of policing needs to lean into the reality of uh, the difficulty of police, policing in general dealing with poor populations. Ronnie, can you respond to uh, what Anthony Campbell was saying about how the culture needs to change? Uh, what goes through your mind when you hear uh, Mr. Campbell uh, talking about this, about the things that need to change, because in the last several years, there's, there's been a lot of attention nationwide about changing the culture and the way that police uh, treat black and brown Americans differently. You know, sitting here listening, I, I grew up in New Haven. Some of the officers, um, when you say it need to change, it's, it's, it's sad. Like, we really need to just stop everything we're doing and, like, start all over again. Some of these officers really don't need to be officers. It's like when they come to pull you over, the professionalism is gone. Um, most of the time when, when they always got their hand on their gun, either they putting their gloves on. And it's like, what, what is all that about? You know, some officers don't need to be cops. You know, I know they pay good, um, but they don't, they don't need to be cops. I think what, what really need to happen, and we need to talk about this right now, that our community need to identify um, people in our community and we need to get them to the point where they could be the officers of our community because them the people that care about us. It's like the people that grow up in our community, if we could figure out a way to get them to become police, then everything gonna change because the majority of the cops that are becoming cops, that's the problem. They don't really wanna be cops and then they disrespect us but if we could figure out how we could get some of the young kids that's coming up and, and get them to become cops. Before I get uh, another perspective from a current law enforcement officer, we have a young person seated here, uh, Joshua Fee. As you hear uh, Rodney Williams talking, uh, you know, as a young person, would you ever think to become a police officer? Do your friends think about it? Everybody I know says no. And it's because based on the narrative that they see and what they're hearing about police officers, it, they don't want that to be them. And I get what he's saying about wanting the police officers coming from the community, but most of the police officers are coming from Coventry, um, Ellington, and working in the Hartford police system, which is, you coming from Coventry, you're not gonna have the same experience as somebody from Hartford. You're not gonna know the culture around Hartford. So you're built, you have this built up perspective, oh, Hartford's bad, they're animals, da 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 da. So you're not really knowing the people you're working for, because you're not, we're not working for you, you're working for us. You're supposed to protect and serve, that's what the badge is for, to protect and serve. And you're killing and burying us, that's what you're doing. So for 
this police department to have change, you have to, one, get the proper training, two, do various background checks, not just background checks on certain things, but you have to do it on everything, not just who they are, where they grew up. You have to go deeper than, oh, this is a job, I'm just, it's a job application, let me just go through the necessary things they have to qualify for. It has to be for the people, and if they're not, for the people like regarding Trulo shooting, they knew before they hired him what the situation was with this police officer. They knew there was a, they knew there was an issue of him being highly stressed and not being able to deal with stressful situations, and they didn't give him the proper training to deal with stress. Joshua, you've made really good points. I want to ask Anthony Campbell. Yeah. I want to ask Anthony Campbell, how does that happen? This officer in question that uh, shot Chulo was somebody that had a, a history in Manchester of also needing remedial training and issues of being under stress. How does that happen that a police officer with that history is, re is hired by another town? So it really boils down to the reality that we don't have a national standard for policing. You've got 18,000 police departments in this country. In this state alone, you've got 94 municipalities, not including uh, law enforcement that is hired by universities and, and others. And so you've got different standards. You've got a larger state standard, which is held up by POST, the police officer's standards and training. But if that officer was deemed in one department not to be suitable, uh, maybe not meeting the general orders or policies of that one department, as long as they have not had their certification revoked by post, uh, which means that they did something that, uh, you know, they lied and were caught in a lie or something like that, a department may say, you haven't met our standards, we deem that you can't be a police officer with us, and then that officer can go and be, be picked up by another department, depending on what their screening policies and protocols are. And I think, this situation exemplifies an opportunity for law enforcement as a whole to pump the brakes and start looking at some of the policies, procedures, and things that they are doing and the screening processes. Who are you bringing into the police department? Does your department reflect the community that it is supposedly policing? Um, what are the issues that have been in a person's background? What mechanisms do you have in place to identify the problematic officer who may have gotten in internal affairs complaints or a supervisor saying that, I don't think this officer deals with stress well. Some departments do it really well, and other departments don't do it well at all. But this is the type of thing. Policing, I like to think of it this way. When you go to have surgery, the surgeon cannot have an off day. The surgeon can't say, well, today was just a bad day for me, and you know, I I'm sorry. Policing has to be the same way. Officers cannot have a bad day because their bad day can turn into the loss of life, the destruction of trust with the community, the destruction of everything that's been built over time. And you need to have mechanisms in place which involve the community to make sure that we don't hire the wrong people and the people that we have hired are healthy and are serving the community in the best possible way. 
Seated next to Anthony Campbell is Sergeant Stephen Austin, who's with the Hartford Police Department. Um, so how do you respond uh, to uh, what's been said so far about the right people uh, not being hired uh, to be uh, police officers and the standards uh, being all over the place and uh, they're needing to be changed, but it's not happening? Well, in terms of the standards, um, if you look around the room, and I think Ronnie touched on it, well, most of us in this room, we weren't on that standard review, so we didn't create the standards for the officers who were being hired. I, I am a Hartford resident. I grew up, I was born and raised here. I don't know everybody in this room, but I know quite a few people, and I'm from the North End. I graduated from Weaver High School, went to Fox Middle, Annie Fisher, and I started in Bevy Square, but for you guys in New Haven, you don't know what that is, but I know a lot about New Haven as well. When we talk about policies and procedures, a lot of things that you see happening in law enforcement are just an extension of things that have happened in our state legislator, and our city councils and our city means the minutia that goes on at your board of education building when when they have their board of education meetings when they have the city council meetings there are policies put in place and they're boring so no one really pays attention to it but they create the policies that create bad officers they allow things like that to live and exist here in Hartford just like Josh right yes when I was a teenager in the 70s I didn't want to be a police officer. None of my friends did either. But as I got older and I matured and became a better person, I realized that I had to do something and give back to my community. You see, because I know a lot of kids. I ran a lot of programs. I'm constantly involved. Even if I wasn't here tonight, I'd be here on my own because I'm here and I'm all around this city. And a lot of people can tell you that. But the bottom line is when we talk about officers, like you said, it just can't be black just because they're black. It ain't a race thing. It is an institutional thing and it gets it's ingrained, and we have to change that narrative so young kids like this can say, hey, I wanna be in law enforcement. I wanna be a teacher, because see, it's not just the law enforcement where we're having the problems. It's in our schools where we have teachers that don't look like us and they're not reflecting and have no empathetic views to what our culture is all about. See, when I drive by a building on Garden Street and I see 20, 30 people hanging outside and it's 95 degrees out, I know they're not just hanging out, they're hanging out because they ain't got no air conditioning. You see, that's what I know. Now somebody like you said coming from Ellington who has central air, they don't recognize that. They see, just see a lot of people hanging out. That's understanding where you live, what the people are, and what they're doing. Bad is bad. I'll never put that. If you're bad, you're out here, you're a shooter, I'm gonna deal with you because you can't have that. But the most important thing is knowing that when I, when I come up to you, it's not just protecting and serve. You have to respect first. You cannot protect anybody if you have no respect for them. And I would make sure, like any officer that works for me, and I'm a supervisor, we don't have none of that funny business. You respect that person you're dealing with. I don't care if you're the richest businessman that came in from Darien or wherever you came in, you came here and worked to make your money, to the poorest person in this city. You treat them like a human being, like you wanna treat your mother or your father wanna be respected. You have to have it that way. I can speak to a lot of different things that you're talking about and I feel your pain and I understand where you're coming from. But we need to make sure that we're all doing our part to make sure that our education, that's the key, education, education, and our education system is where it should be so that our young men and women can start thinking about things other than the poverty. 
because poverty drives a lot of the things that we're seeing here in terms of officers involved shooting. Yes, it is going to be poor people. Sergeant rich, Austin, I wanted to... Rich um, people ain't getting shot. I'm just letting you know that. I wanted to get uh, Greg Brown to respond to what you're saying. Talk I'm actually going to respond back, like, to everyone because like, the points that have been made are like, completely valid. Um, when you grow up in the inner cities, like Hartford, when you think of police, you think of arrest. You, know, you think of negativity. You don't want to have a run-in with the officer. Now, when we talk about change, how can we change the perspective that the citizens have on officers when all we see is negative interaction, you know? So one thing about it is um, we don't have any programs or, you know, as many workshops where the police actually go in the community and show something positive to the young folks. Like, you can't expect someone to think about being an officer or think about, you know, having that positive perspective on an officer if they don't show that, you know? And that's one of the main issues that we actually do have. Um, now, from personal experience, when I go to work, I'm dressed up. You know, I'm an administrative assistant. I don't get, you know, messed with. But on my downtime, I'm going to dress how I dress, comfortable, you know? And that might, you know, look like, oh, he's from the hood, he's from the ghetto, you know? So I automatically get stereotyped. You don't know who I am. And that's one of the main things that police don't focus on, you know? It's like, okay, he's dressed like this, oh, he might be doing this, he might be doing this. He's in, the, he's in a nice car, does that car belong to him? You know, that's that stereotype that's, you know, judging me before you know who I am, that causes the interaction to go sideways before it even begins. And when you talk about officers, um, like they said, the issues start before you actually become a police officer. The reason you want to become a police officer is why? Your dad was a police officer, oh, that's what you wanted to be since you were a kid, but do you really want to protect and serve the people that you're, you know, wearing your badge for? Is that really what you want to become? Yeah. It's like you having a job. If you have a job that you hate but the money's good, okay, I'm going to go to work. You can't hate protecting people but still go to work because the money's good yeah. because that's where we're going to end up here. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. You're hearing a community conversation I hosted at the Arroyo Recreation Center in Hartford's Pope Park. When we come back from the break, we'll hear more from the audience and our panelists. And you can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. What issues need to be addressed to mend relationships between the public and the police? We gathered at the Arroyo Recreation Center at Pope Park in Hartford to put this question to community members in the wake of two recent police shootings in Connecticut. Uh, my name is uh, Chief Divine Minister Jelani Bay. I represent the Moorish community uh, that has been here for a long time in Hartford, um, but all over the East Coast. And I travel and I deal with different law enforcement and things of that nature. What I find is, you know, we can all talk about the, the problems that's dealing in the street, but that's not where the problem starts. It starts in the police academy. It starts about accountability. It starts, it starts about properly teaching the officers about real law, because you have a lot of officers who think they are the law. Their uniform is the law. So because they're having a bad day and they see a nice car, they pull it over. That's false imprisonment. There was no probable cause to stop it. So now, because that person may know something about law and put, and put them on front street about it, now there's a conflict. He was a resistant arrest. He's being belligerent. And there's no one there to account that officer for breaking the law. Um, I'm Haya Cynthia and I live in the neighborhood. So I'm here listening to everything that goes on. And uh, what's your name again? Anthony Campbell. Yeah, Anthony. Um, you know the thing that bothers me most? When people at the top look at us as, oh, they're poor, they're poor. When, when people look at us as poor, it sends off a different kind of an attitude. I think the police department should be training their people to deal with people, not poor or rich, poor, just people. I don't care what neighborhood you came from or whatever the case may be. So I, I didn't like that little part where you said police should be trained how to deal with poor neighborhood. No, police should be trained to deal with the whole neighborhood, all right? And, and I have to let you know, I am on the subjective board at the Hartford Police Department. And thanks to uh, our former chief over here, Chief Ravella, a wonderful person that has formed relationship work with the neighborhood to make sure that his police officers are working with the resident. It's a partnership. There's no way we can talk about just the police, the police. We gotta talk about resident and police. If you want something to work, it has to be a partnership, okay? Just like you're in a marriage, it's not a one person working. It's the both of you have to work to make it work. Police needs to respect, resident need to respect police, and that's how it works, all right? Subjective board, we are looking at anyone that coming to apply for police department, and we're making sure that we're not just taking any and, any and anybody. They have to meet that standard that we know they can work within that department to serve the people that they're planning the apartment they're working into. So I think that's really important to understand that, you know, people may not know, I'm not sure if New Haven have a subjective board, but we in Hartford have a subjective board. That means there's a group of two civilians and police officers and, and, and whoever it may be. But the point is that we are looking at those applications to make sure we're not just taking any and anyone off the street. Um, they're very much well investigated, okay? So I think the way I have been working with the police department for the past 40 years, it's working in a partnership. It's a two-way street here. 
And until we learn that, that we need to work together, we will always think, oh, the police is bad. And you know what? Yeah, in every department you work with in anywhere, there's one always a bad apple or two in there. But you need to figure out how to deal with it. Everything, when it comes to a police department, your police chief set the tone, okay, for his or her whatever staff that works out there with the community. He set the tone of telling those officers, go out there, you work with your residents, okay? Let's face it, you don't have those residents, you don't have a job. So it's really important to make sure we're working together. And that's where I come from. During our conversation with our panelists and audience members, Anthony Campbell, New Haven's former police chief, pointed out that Connecticut policymakers will need to respond to the community in ways not seen before. One of the things that I, I believe things like this can bring about is when communities reach a certain point, uh, when these incidents, you know, for a long time, we used to talk about these incidents that were happening other places, mm -hmm. you know, Ferguson and Chicago right. and See places, you. but not Connecticut. No, our cops aren't shooting, you know, young, unarmed black men and women. That's just not happening. Do we have some bad situations that happen? Yeah, but not that. Well, we are not insulated in Connecticut. These incidents have come here. And I think it's really gonna take police departments, leadership from the top, as uh, one of the people here was talking about, to lead the men and women of their department to partner with the community to talk to legislators to say, maybe we need to have a change with what it is that becomes criminal activity for law enforcement officers. So that it's not simply a department saying you're fired, but there's a greater level of accountability. An officer can be incarcerated, charged, not just lose their job. That's what has to happen. That only can happen when the community, law enforcement come together and change things legislatively. Uh, Rodney Williams, uh, State Senator Gary Winfield from New Haven has tried to make police more accountable. He's put forth bills. Um, he's working on bills now after what happened to your nephew and what happened to Chulo. Uh, but he told us that when he tries to push forth these police accountability bills, including if excessive force is used yeah. or the police are not following standards, uh, it's very hard for him to find other lawmakers that will support these bills because the police lobby is stronger. So what is it going to take to get these accountability bills forward, in your view? I think that officers need to look at, are you trying to be an officer to be there for the community, or are you looking at you, personally? And when you talk about accountability, you know, the police unions are strong. Um, what, what really need to be done, they're not going to allow it to be done until we get rid of some of these old school cops that's in there that's been doing all this racial stuff. When you go against another officer and then you want to call and you need some help and you out there by yourself, you know, this thing is, is you know, it's, it's, about to, it's about to be opened up like it should have been opened up years ago for them to really look at what's really going on in the police department. Because to me, it's, 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 it's a little corrupt. You know what I mean? It's like you get a job and you say you're for the people, but then when you get in a position and one of your officers do something that, that violates something, you don't say nothing because of the blue brotherhood. 
is wrong. And I think right now, y'all need to get fired. They need to get arrested. If you're lying, you know what I mean? Put charges on you. You falsifying um, statements and, and incidents. Um, get fired for that. The union is only protecting the bad cops. And until we get rid of the bad cops and, and, and start to grow a, a, a police department in the future, like a lot of this stuff that's going on, it's been going on for a long time. There's some real, real issues, and, and some of these cops, not trying to be funny, and you could grow up in our community, and I'm going I'm to I'm talk you about that, because some officers who grow up in this community, that they, they're not nothing, and, and, and they might was punked and all kind of stuff, they become a cop, and then they want to turn that on us. So, you know, let's, let's talk about that, too, because a lot of the officers, you know, the, the, some of them are white, but the truth is some of them black, they grew up here, too. And they know the hoods that everybody in, and they run up on you with the with the rah rah, and um, it's wrong. It's wrong. We wanted to spend part of the evening talking about solutions to resolve these tensions in communities. One audience member brought up this point: solutions. Uh, to me, the police, like your political class, work for you. It seems like you know, like you're asking a favor to be treated like the only political title that matters, constituent. I mean, you're at the top of the food chain politically because the whole system is set up to serve you. All politics is local. So as Sergeant Austin mentioned, the you know, policies are set by your city councils and you know, the union may be a, a forceful lobby, but they're not more forceful than you, the voter, because at the end of the day, you're the one that puts in the representatives that they're lobbying. And I think, you know, if you want to talk about accountability, it all starts with us. You know, we have to hold them accountable. Yeah, the union might cover all kinds of things in the contract, but, you know, if you hold your mayor accountable, if you hold your chairman of public safety accountable to make sure that when the negotiations happen, they happen on the, for the benefit of the constituent who's paying everybody's salary through your taxes. So you're the ones really that have the accountability in your hand. Now, I would like to suggest perhaps, uh, I think uh, the gentleman sitting there, I guess ex-police chief for, you know, doctors have a bad day somebody dies in the operating room. Police officer has a bad day, someone may die, you know, because they uh, went through a red light, whatever the case may be. But doctors have malpractice. And I mentioned this to one of our legislators. You know, maybe police officers or anybody in public service who could put a human life at risk ought to carry malpractice. So that maybe you can't go after them criminally, but you could make a civil complaint. You could, you could file the same kind of uh, court action against them that you would file against a surgeon that forgot to take the scalpel out of you. So I mean, there, there can be legislated fixes for this because this conversation will go on ad nauseum Year after year after year, we could go backwards in time to the slave patrols and get all deep and philosophical. At the end of the day, though, we want something that's going to change the paradigm. So, you know, I think that, you know, just with the people in this room, 
If you call up your legislature members, your constituent representatives, and you let them know that if you want to go back to your cushy job up on the hill, that you need to do right by us or we will actively participate in your removal from public office. That's how you have to approach this. Otherwise, the circular conversation serves those who are part of the corrupted class. All cops aren't corrupt, but the ones that are need to be held accountable. They need to be fired. This is not rocket science. It's a matter of political will to get the job done. In my never-to-be-humble opinion. <laughs> This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You're listening to an edited conversation we had with some local residents at the Arroyo Recreation Center in Hartford's Pope Park. When we come back, we'll hear from some panelists about solutions to build stronger communities. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You're hearing a community discussion I hosted with local residents Wednesday evening in Hartford's Pope Park in the wake of two recent police shootings in Connecticut. Our panelists included Iran Nazario, Executive Director of the Peace Center, Connecticut. First, I want to just uh, thank the young men and women and folks that are here sharing your testimonies because it's really brave of you to be here. I know that's not easy. So uh, many of the solutions that were shared today uh, I agree with, and you have them all. Literally, you are the only way that this is going to change. Um, I'm gonna disagree with the fact that we as minorities don't have power. The realities are that we do. Um, the unfortunate part is that we don't get involved enough in these movements and in these uh, advocacy sessions um, to be able to impact change. Tonight you heard many different solutions. Um, I come from Hartford, born and raised here. Um, you know, I was in the gang for a long time, so I was a, I was a target for all law enforcement officers, and now I'm on the opposite side working for peace. The facts are that the only real way that I was able to find change was by getting connected to people and galvanizing and moving people to move in different directions and un as a unit advocate for change. It takes a long time. This is a hard process. But with the numbers of folks that we have here tonight, we're not gonna make the impact that we need until we continue to galvanize more and more people. We are the power. This is who we are, we are the power. Now what I can tell you is that uh, I have some exper negative experiences with law enforcement, I have positive experiences, right? So I'm gonna share a positive one because we're talking about solutions. When Chief Ravella was the chief of police in Hartford, um, one of the things that he allowed me to do as a former gang member, you have to understand the importance of this. He allowed me to sit in with the recruited class of that year at, when they were coming home from the academy. We went to Quirk, the former Quirk Middle School and he allowed me to talk to these officers about my experience with police. 
What that did, what that did is it gave them insight as to what it was that we felt like being chased by police officers when we were in a gang. I thought it was normal for me to get beat upside the face because I was wearing gang colors. I thought it was normal. It wasn't until I got older that I understood that I wasn't supposed to get beat up because I was wearing gang colors. I was supposed to be doing something that warranted and it didn't warrant it, right? So the facts are, when I got to communicate that to law enforcement officers, let me tell you the power that that had, because I want you to understand, I have a 19-year-old son, and my son uh, tried to commit suicide um, last year. And when the officer that responded in Windsor to his, his suicide attempt saw me, she says, hey, I remember you. You were in my cadet class, and you talked to us about um, the fact that police officers treat people a certain way and you taught us about the community of Hartford and what it's like and who lives there and all of that. And because she had seen me at the, at the, at the training, she had a relationship with me. She treated my son with respect and she treated me with respect because she got to know me. The facts are that some of you have already talked about the solution. The solutions are that we need to get along with each other and respect each other, but we need y'all. We need you on city council meetings. We need you at the state legislative offices. We need you right on Facebook. We need you telling people, get to those meetings, because that's where they happen, and many, many times we're not there. We're not there. I've been to many of them where three or four of us are there, and we're advocating, and the numbers of people that we need there are in the hundreds to make change. Sure, this gentleman can give us all the data. You can give us the new policies you're working on. You can tell us your story, but the facts are none of them can move without us. And so, so for me, it's really about how do we, yeah, right, but we have to have, uh, we have to arrive at a point where we're collectively moving together because we can't blame a white guy for my suffering. He can't blame me for the crime. We have to find a, a, a common place for us to start moving together collectively, and that's the only real way that we're going to see change. Change is happening. People are moving from when I was a young man to where it is now. I love the fact that you're here, you're speaking your voices. That's truly important, but we need more of it, and we need more of it consistently. We also need you to educate your children about what their rights are, what the laws are, how they apply to them, how they should behave. So I'll use another personal example. My son was pulled over by the Newington Police Department the other day because his plate was tilted on his car, and I didn't know about it, but when he told me about it after he found out about Chula and we saw the, the other, uh, the Felipe um, um, shooting in Hartford, he talked about Bob, when they stopped me, I did everything you told me. I put my hands on the steering wheel. I looked straight ahead. I didn't say anything crazy. I, didn't, I was a little angry because he was pulling me over. I was embarrassed because I was with my boy, but I did everything you told me. But I didn't reach for anything. I didn't do anything. I said, great, great. That still doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be safe. So moving forward, moving forward, know your rights. Know the law. But again, these things are not going to change. They're not. They really are not going to change unless we stay elevated, organized, and keep moving. We need you here. But they will. They will. And I can tell you, I can tell you, I can tell you though, despite how hard it is, despite how difficult it might be, you got to stay the course. Because if you quit, then we lose you. We lose a voice. If anybody else quit, we lose a voice. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. And this is why I think that the solutions are right here. We have people working on legislative on policy and advocacy and campaigns and all of these other measures, but without you, those things go by the wayside because if I'm a legislator, I'm a senator, and I look around the room and this guy's telling me what to do for you and he's telling me what to do for you, but I don't see you guys, what am I going to say? Well, the community must not care. And the fact is that I care. 
And I care. I've been dedicated to this work for a long time. The facts are that things have progressed and they have moved. Where we want them to be? No. But this gentleman is telling us what they want to do. He's working with you on, on the coalition in New Haven. That thing didn't happen 20 years ago, man. So there's been some progress. And sure, we're hurting. You know, my brother was murdered out here. My cousins were murdered. We, we're hurting as a community. But we can't quit. We can't quit and we can't expect them to do it for us. We got to do it for ourselves, too. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks to our panelists and to the Connecticut residents who came to this community conversation. Thanks to staff at Connecticut Public, including Lydia Brown, Carmen Baskoff, Katie Tularski, John Dankoski, Ryan Lindsay, Carlos Mejia, Lily Tyson, Jeff Cohen, and Vanessa Delatore. Also thanks to the staff at Arroyo Recreation Center and to Scott's Jamaican Bakery in Hartford. This is where we live. <laughs>